So good to have you with us this morning. If I have not had the opportunity to meet you, uh, my name's Brandon. My wife and I, Judy, have the amazing privilege of serving as our campus pastors at our Wilkett location. So uh, if you're in the Waterbury area or Southbury, Southington, any of those areas, come and see us. We have services every Sunday at 10, but thankful to be in this house here in New Milford. You guys doing all right? Amen. Amen. Well, I also want to give honor to our pastors, even in their absence, pastors Frank and Lisa Santora. I would be remiss if I didn't honor them because I know that I stand on their shoulders and their belief in us is tremendous. And we're thankful for their leadership and their tutelage. So can we give it up for our pastors, even in their absence, for all that they do? Well, I recognize you guys are standing, so I don't want to keep you standing for too long. Uh, we're going to go to our Bible confession. If you're in need of a paper Bible, just raise your hands and our amazing ushers will assist you. You guys glad to be in the house of the Lord today? Amen. You guys enjoying the nice weather, a little uh, break from the hot weather. I mean, I was cool with the hot weather. I'm, I'm actually from Texas, so I mean, 100 degrees is normal for me. Uh, but I know for some of you, you were suffering. You were suffering. But uh, so glad that you're here. Let's go on and make our Bible confession. This is my Bible. It is my primary source of spiritual nourishment. I will read it every day and become all that God wants me to be. My mind will be renewed. My life will be transformed. I will become fully surrendered to Christ. Therefore, I will hide his word in my heart so I can be all that God has destined me to be. Amen. You guys sound wonderful. My assignment today comes from 1 Samuel chapter 8. 1 Samuel chapter 8. We are in a series following Jesus in today's world. Following Jesus in today's world. How many of you know that it's difficult to follow the Lord in these days, but it's necessary that he is able to keep us. He's able to give us strength and wisdom But it's a challenge. How many of you would agree with me? It's a challenge to live for the Lord and to go against the grain, to be willing to be different. But God is faithful. God is faithful. So my assignment is 1 Samuel chapter 8. I'm reading from the New King James Version. Before we read this, I thought it would be necessary to provide a little bit of context. Most of you guys might remember in the book of Exodus, God's chosen people, the Israelites, were in bondage to the Egyptians for over 400 years. And the Bible says that God sent them a deliverer by the name of Moses. God was their ultimate deliverer, but he sent a man by the name of Moses to speak to Pharaoh to let the children of Israel go. And after a few plagues, like 10 plagues, Pharaoh finally let the children of Israel go and they went into the wilderness and uh, Moses was given specific instructions, commandments on how the people would live, how they would conduct themselves uh, after the order of God. And God was very present in the Israelites life. He fed them with manna, which was bread from the sky. He uh, walked with them as a uh, pillar of cloud by day to keep the sun out of their eyes and a, a, a fire by night to keep them warm. And of course, when he went up on a mountain, he was not. And then Joshua took over, who was a young mentee of Moses. 
And then after Joshua died, the children of Israel were ruled by judges. And as we're about to find out in the book of Samuel, there was a kingship that was about to enter in. And Samuel was a prophet of the Lord who was sent to help usher in the presence of God and to get the people back on the straight and narrow. Because as we read here, the Israelites were at an all-time spiritual low. But God was about to do something to resurrect his name. And we'll see. In 1 Samuel chapter 8, you guys have it? It says, now it came to pass when Samuel was old that he made his sons judges over Israel. The name of his first son was Joel and the name of his second son was Abijah. They were judges in Beersheba, but his sons did not walk in his ways. They turned aside after dishonest gain. They took bribes and they perverted justice. Then all the elders of Israel gathered together and came to Samuel at Ramah and said to him, look, you are old. That's a little disrespectful. (laughs) This man's been ruling for many years and none of his words fell to the ground. But yet they're bringing this complaint against him. They said, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the other nations. But the thing displeased Samuel when they said, give us a king to judge us. So Samuel prayed to the Lord, and the Lord said to Samuel, Heed the voice of the people in all that they say to you, for they have not rejected you, but they have rejected me, that I should not reign over them. According to all the works which they have done since the day that I brought them out up out of Egypt, even to this day, with which they have forsaken me and served other gods, so they are doing to you also." Now, therefore, heed their voice. However, you shall solemnly forewarn them and show them the behavior of the king who will reign over them. Watch this, guys. So Samuel told all the words of the Lord to the people who asked for him a king. And he said, this will be the behavior of the king who will reign over you. Have you ever asked God for something over and over and he finally gave it to you, but it wasn't necessarily his best? He will take your sons and appoint them for his own chariots and to be his horsemen, and some will run before his chariots. He will appoint captains over his thousands and captains over his fifties, will set some to plow his ground and reap his harvest and some to make his weapons of war and equipment for his chariots. He will take your daughters to be perfumers, cooks, and bakers, and he will take the best of your fields, vineyards, and your olive groves and give them to his servants. He will take, that's all we keep hearing, take, take, take. He will take a tenth of your grain and your vintage And give it to his officers and servants. And he will take your male servants, your female servants, your finest young men, and your donkeys, and put them to his work. He will take a tenth of your sheep, and you will be his servants. And you will cry out in that day, because of your king, whom you have chosen for yourselves, and the Lord will not hear you in that day. Nevertheless, the people refused. Somebody say refused. Before we cast judgment, sometimes we've refused. 
Sometimes I've refused. But nevertheless, the people refused to obey the voice of Samuel, and they said, no, but we will have a king over us that we also may be like all the nations and that our king may judge us and go out before us and fight our battles. And Samuel heard all the words of the people, and he repeated them in the hearing of the Lord. So the Lord said to Samuel, heed their voice and make them a king. And Samuel said to the men of Israel, every man Go to his city. I want to speak to you from the subject matter in our series, Following Jesus in Today's World, just on the subject of pride. Pride. Let's pray. Father, I thank you, Lord, for your word. I thank you for every single person that's gathered here in this room. I know they're not here by accident, nor am I, but I pray that you would use me as your servant. Lord, I pray that you would give me the words to speak and that your Holy Spirit would bring illumination and understanding in this place. In Jesus' name, amen. You guys can be seated. Thank you so much for standing. Well, I know some of you might be new or uh, maybe you missed a couple of messages in our series. Uh, but PF, Pastor Frank, has been in this sermon series almost for a month now. And if you missed any of the messages, you can always go to our website, uh, to our sermon arc our archives and look up the sermons. You can also go to YouTube, our YouTube channel, and we also have an app that you can download as well, even for you that are watching online. But in previous messages, Pastor Frank shared a scripture with us uh, that the Apostle Paul, he's informing his mentee, Timothy, about the behaviors that men will exhibit in the last days. And listen to his warning in 2 Timothy chapter 3, verses 1 through 5. And it reads, But know this, that in the last days perilous times will come. For men will be lovers of themselves, lovers of money, boasters, proud. There's our word. Blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, unloving, unforgiving, slanderers, without self-control, brutal, despisers of good, traitors, headstrong, haughty, lovers of pleasure rather than lovers of God, having a form of godliness but denying its power. And from such people turn away. Pretty powerful verse. What stood out to me about this warning that Paul gave to Timothy and also the attacks that Samuel was facing from the children of Israel in our main text is the prevailing attitude that says, I know what's best for myself. I know what's best for me. I have all that I need. I don't need God. I know what's best for me. I know what I can take on. Another mindset that is closely related to this attitude And you've probably heard it time and time again, especially when any correction is given, especially in a evangelistic style of way or in a sermon. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Don't judge me. Though these exact sentiments are not always spoken, it's evident through behavior. This is how our culture views themselves. Lest we are tempted to point the finger. We also have to look at ourselves. One of the things that the Lord has really been pressing upon my heart lately is to have a greater trust in him. How many of you believe in this room that God knows the ending from the beginning? 
that God has already gone before you, that the Bible says to trust in the Lord with all of your heart, to lean not to your own understanding and all of your ways, acknowledge him and he will direct your steps. I'm also reminded in the Psalms where David says, delight yourself in the Lord and he will give you the desires of your heart. But how many of you know our desires can be flaky sometimes? And the thing is, I'm, I'm, I'm coming to a point in my life where God, you know what's best for me. Even though there are things that I may want or there are things that I may desire, I'm going to trust you and not try to seek after stuff, but seek after you because I know that you are faithful and you take care of your kids. The Bible says that he knows the hairs that are on our head, even though they're few. The Bible says that he knows our lying down and our getting up. He's well acquainted with all of our griefs, all of our struggles. We have to get to a place where we trust the Lord and we trust his guidance. Even though we've been praying for something and it hasn't quite manifested, or maybe God is not moving fast enough on our behalf, we think he should be moving faster. We have to trust there is a reason even for that. He knows. He knows. But the truth of the matter is, the root of these attitudes, I know what's best for myself, I have all that I need, is at the root, pride. The sin of pride. Now there's a good type of pride. There's a pride that you have in your family. There's a pride that you have in your children. There's a healthy pride that you can have in where the Lord has brought you from and, and, and how he's elevated you or the things that he's done in your life. But the key is understanding it was the Lord and not your own abilities. It was the Lord who brought you through college. It was the Lord who restored your marriage. It was the Lord who brought you up out of obscurity and brought you to the place where you are now. But our tendency is when we get to a place of success that we forget the steps that we took to get there. And we forget how God was faithful. We forget the valleys and the hills and the seasons that we went through so that God could mold us so that we could be prepared to receive what he has for us. Are you with me? But the sin of pride is a heart attitude expressed, listen to this, in an unhealthy, exaggerated attention to self and an elevated view of one's abilities, accomplishments, Position or possession. Pride has been called the cancer of the soul, the beginning of all sin, and sin in its final form. The sin of pride, as most of you know, originated in Satan. You guys do realize that Lucifer, which is another name for Satan, was a created angel by God. Colossians chapter 1 gives us a vivid description on how Jesus made everything that was made, whether it's thrones or kingdoms or dominions, everything that we can see and everything that we cannot see was created by Jesus. Are you guys with me? Did you know that he even crafted you when you were in your mother's womb? Therefore, I tell people all the time, just by that, I understand your life is not an accident. It doesn't matter who your mother and father was. God has a plan and a purpose for your life despite the family that you came from. God can raise you up and he can break every generational curse in the name of Jesus because he's faithful. But the sin of pride originated in Satan. And Lucifer, he was a beautiful angel. 
You can read about this in Isaiah chapter 15 and Ezekiel chapter 28. But he was given a free will. He was beautiful. Like all of these um, portrayals of Satan and movies and, and stories that kind of portray him as this, this red demon with these pitchforks. He was actually a beautiful angel. And one of the things that stood out to me in Ezekiel chapter 28 is the Bible says that there were actually tubes that went through his body because he was in charge of worship. So is it any coincidence in this generation that God, that, that Satan rather, would use music to try to deceive this generation? See, this was my testimony. When I first gave my life to the Lord, that's one of the first things that God told me that you have to lay down is some of the music that you were listening to. Because the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 15.33, it says, Be not deceived. Evil company corrupts good habits. Or as our grandmother used to say, birds of a feather flock together. You are the company that you keep. So we have to be mindful of what we are allowing into our ears and what we are allowing to come before our eyes. Because as strong as we may think we are in the Lord, we can still fall. And we can still succumb to temptation. So now I understand why he is called the prince of the power of the air because he likes to mess with the airwaves to try to bring about deception and to try to get the people of God to fall. But the Bible says that we are not ignorant of his devices, that he is under our feet, that greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world, that Jesus was manifested, that he might destroy the works of the devil. So the only victory he is able to accomplish is if we allow him into our lives by opening up a door or a window. Don't let that happen. Keep him out. Resist him. It's worth mentioning that there are three main ways that Satan tries to tempt us. And there's nothing new under the sun. These are some of the same temptations that Adam and Eve experienced when they were in the garden. In 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, listen to what it says. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Is not of the Father, but is of the world. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. Let me break this down. The lust of the flesh is the desire for sensual pleasure. The lust of the eyes is covetousness or materialism. And the pride of life is being proud about one's position in the world in an unhealthy way. The lust of the flesh the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. We witness all of these temptations. Watch this. In Genesis 3, 4 through 6, it says, The serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die, for God knows that in the day that you eat of this forbidden fruit, your eyes will be open, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, the lust of the flesh, that it was pleasant to the eyes, the lust of the eyes, and the tree desirable to make one wise. She took of its fruit and she ate it, the pride of life. She also gave to her husband who was with her. Now, fellas, I always have to bring this up. What is up with Adam just sitting there as Eve is having this conversation with the serpent? But one of the things that God told me early on, even before I got married through premarital counseling, Brandon, you were called to be the spiritual head of your home. 
You were called to lead your family with godliness, to be an example, and to love your wife as Christ loves the church. And may I say to you, that is not always easy. Because you have to put your flesh on the altar on a daily basis, and you also have to guard your eyes lest you teach or lead your wife to believe that there's someone else. Oh, I'm talking to somebody this morning. And in response, the Bible says a wife is to submit to her husband as he submits to the Lord. And neither role is easy. Because I'm called to love you like Christ loves the church. And in response to that, how many of you ladies out there would have no problem submitting to a godly man if he treated you like a queen? If he treated you with respect and honor. You know, when I think about Jesus, I think about the fact that he put on an apron and he assumed the position of a slave and he washed his disciples' feet. I think about the fact that he allowed himself to be abused and brutally beaten in every possible way. He was slapped in the face with the very hand that he created. He was like people spat in his face because they didn't agree with who he claimed to be. So they spat in his face with the very spit that he created. He was crucified on a mountain that he created. They they drove a cat of nine tails across his back. All of this because he was thinking about you. For the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. And guess what? When I think about this, God, you calling me to be like that towards Judy. That's difficult. That's hard. But you know what? It's right. It's right. And when two people understand their God-given roles within a marriage, it can flourish. It can be an accurate depiction of Christ and his relationship with the church if both people play their roles correctly. Now I understand that marriage is not necessarily meant to make you happy, but it's meant to make you holy. This marriage is not really about us. It's about our witness for Christ. Come on, somebody. But it's interesting that when this serpent decided to tempt Eve, he was tempting her with something that she already possessed, but she didn't know that she already possessed it. She was saying, the uh, serpent was saying that if you eat of this tree, you shall be like God. But hold on, let's back up for a second. God said that he already made them in his image. So she was already like God, but because she didn't know her identity in the Lord, she was able to succumb to the temptation. And such is the case today when we don't understand our position in Christ, when we don't understand that we are seated with him in heavenly places, that we are the head and not the tail, that we are above and not below. The enemy can tempt us every possible way because we don't know who we are. But when you have a born-again believer who reads God's word and takes him for what he says and knows who they are, you are a threat to the devil. Amen. Come on. You know what? But the enemy deceived Eve into thinking she was missing something, even though she wasn't. This is the same temptation that was presented in 1 Samuel chapter 8 when the children of Israel brought a demand before Samuel asking for a king thinking that they knew what was best for themselves and that they were missing something because they were looking at all of the other nations around them. But let's examine their proposal or their request and let's see what the Lord wants to speak to us. First point that I want to make is this. God does not need a counselor. Let that soak in for just a second. God does not need a counselor. 
Whenever God is asking questions in the Bible, it is not because he lacks information. It is because he is trying to let us take inventory of where we are. When he spoke to Adam and said, Adam, where are you? He knows where Adam was. But he wanted Adam to digest the fact that he had fallen and the reason why we know he had fallen because before the fall he was naked and unashamed but now he was trying to cover himself with leaves. Did you also know that when you pray, God knows what you're going to pray even before you ask him? God is all-knowing. Didn't I say earlier that he knows the ending from the beginning? He's well acquainted with everything that we could face. So when we go to God, let it not be a counseling session, but rather let it be a faith session because there is nothing that we can bring to him that he doesn't already know. So therefore, when I come to God, I don't have to use, and this is one of the reasons why Jesus spoke against the religious leaders, because when they would go before the Lord in prayer, they would make long, pretentious prayers, and it would be so eloquent, and they would use all of these fancy words because they wanted to appear unto men to be religious. But God says, let your words be few, but when you come before me in prayer, speak the word of God. Speak the word of God. This is why it's important, people of God, that we get into the word of God because God has fidelity with his word. The Bible says it's impossible to please God without faith. When we come to God, we must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. Amen? So as we dive into the word of God, it becomes less of begging and pleading. It becomes, you know what? I declare in the name of Jesus that this is done. I declare that healing is mine. I declare that my daughter will come home. I I, I declare that my son will come home. I declare that my marriage will be restored. I declare that I will have the wisdom to be able to do this new job. I believe that you will provide for me even though there's talks of layoffs, even though prices are going up in every direction. I believe that you are able, God. Are you with me? He is faithful. He is faithful. But see, based on these two observations, it would seem on the surface that the elders of Israel had a justifiable demand when they were asking for a new king. They first recognized that Samuel was old, which was very disrespectful because he was leading with authenticity. Well, I'm sorry, with authenticity. And he was also a wise prophet and he was a man of God. It is unclear though, whether or not they knew Samuel appointed his sons to be judges over Israel without consulting the Lord. There's no record of him consulting the Lord before he appointed his two sons. We don't, we don't really know that, but it's obvious because they, that they were not the right choice based on their behavior. They took bribes, they perverted justice. But the Bible says, based on these two observations, the elders demanded a king which was not out of the question. And this is what I want you guys to see in this message. When they were requesting a king, God had always wanted to bless them with a the king. Listen to this. Them asking for a king was not out of the question. God always planned to provide them a king, so that was not the problem. He had always planned this in Genesis chapter 49, Numbers 24, Deuteronomy chapter 17, but verse 5 reveals their error or where they went awry. 
The elders demanded, look, you are old and your sons do not walk in your ways. Now make us a king to judge us like all the nations. So it wasn't that they asked for a king. Where they went awry was they said, we want a king just like all the other nations. Now, if you haven't understood something about God, he is a jealous God. He does not want any rivals. He does not want anything to take his place. One of the things that I had to understand is even though some of us may not have physical idols that we've created and we bow down to, there are spiritual idols that we could create in our lives. For example, we can begin to erect a God that suits our needs, but it's not the God of the Bible. And uh, and in this country right now and in our culture, in our world right now, that's exactly what's happening. We are fashioning a God to suit our behavior, but it is not the God of the Bible. And that is idolatry in its truest form when we begin to create a God to suit our agendas, to suit our needs, instead of humbling ourselves before God and saying, Lord, show me the way. Show me what it is that you desire of me. Lord, search my heart. See if there be anything inside of me that's not of you. Am I speaking to somebody today? We have to be humble. But the true motive was in the fact that they wanted to be like other nations. How did they come to know how the kings and the surrounding nations operated? How did they know how the other nations and the other kings were conducting business and leading their people? Watch this. Just imagine if your spouse or your significant other came to you and said, I've been checking out so-and-so. And I would love it if you develop a six-pack like them. Or if you had curves and edges like them. The devil is a liar. You would be upset. You would be mad. This would seem like an all-out assault against your character, against your person. But I want you to understand the grave mistake that they made in wanting to be like the other nations. God was saying, I have been your king up to this point. And have I not done a good job? Have I not provided for you? Have I not protected you? Have I not caused you to have to want for anything? Have I not been there for you? But yet they said, Lord... We want to be like the other nations. But how many of you know the grass is not greener on the other side? Even though it may appear like people are farther along than you when they're not serving the Lord. It may seem like they're getting by. It may seem like they don't have as many troubles as you. But know that in the last days and when Christ comes back, there will be a reckoning where God will make every wrong right. And he will justify his people. And there will be people that would be ashamed who did not follow the Lord. But those who did will enter into his presence. And they will receive a welcome from the Lord. Come, good and faithful servant, into the presence of the Lord. Endure. Endure. Is this helping somebody? (sighs) Mm. In the same vein, we must not think more highly of ourselves as we ought to. And submit to God. Realizing our limitations. Listen to this scripture and this kind of encapsulates the fact that we are not, that God doesn't need a counselor. In Romans 11, 33 and 36, it declares, Oh, the depths of the riches, both of the wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are his judgments and his ways past finding out. For who has known the mind of the Lord? Or who has become his counselor? Or who has first given to him 
and it shall be repaid to him. Can I ask you something? Is there anything that you gave to the Lord first? Or did the Lord give it to you first? The Bible says even before we loved him, he first loved us. The Bible says in Romans 5, 8, that while we were yet still sinners, that he died for us. The Bible says that he gives to each man his own measure of faith. Even the faith that you had to believe in God, that was provided by God. So there is no room to boast. There is no room to be arrogant. There is no room to put ourselves on this pedestal. God is God and we are not. And we have to submit to that. The second point that I want to bring up is this. Sinful pride stubbornly assumes you know what's best for yourself. Sinful pride stubbornly assumes you know what's best for yourself. This is true in relationships. This is true with a job. This is true when you're deciding, young person, what your future plans are, what your career choice is going to be. This is true in every facet of life. Have you acknowledged God? Have you brought him into the situation and asked him, is this what you desire of my life? Is this the husband or the wife that you have chosen for me? Because if not, why am I wasting my time? And why am I engaging in this relationship and putting undue temptation on myself if this person doesn't even know the Lord? Are you with me? But sometimes, and I've been there too, we get into that attitude, I know what's best. I know what's best for myself. Instead of saying, God, I submit this at your feet. I'm not going to move on this until I have a peace. Is there anyone out there that would say, you know what? I am thankful for the peace of God. More than anything that the Lord could give or provide, more than money, more than success, anything, I want the peace of God in my life. Because the peace of God doesn't compare to anything else. Knowing you were in his will, knowing you were in his presence, knowing you were walking in line with his every step, there is a peace that cannot be replaced. And there is a joy that comes with walking with the Lord. So even though it may seem difficult, even though it may seem like it's hard, Lord, I submit myself to you. Are you with me? Mm. In God's grace, he provided the people of Israel with a list containing the behavior of the king they sought. Listen to this. First, the king would draft young men to serve in the military, farm his fields, and prepare for war. That was the first thing. Secondly, the king would draw young women to work in his palace and serve in his court. Third, the king would tax the people's crops and flocks. Fourth, the king would appropriate the servants of the Israelites and their finest young men and donkeys. And fifth, the king would take away the people's personal freedom. Mm. Does this not bear witness? You know, one thing that I've observed And I was 50-50 whether I would share this or not, but it's something that the Lord dropped in my spirit. I saw it with President Obama. I saw it with President Trump. I see with President Biden. We put too much faith in men. We put too much faith in men and not in God. Because the Bible says the government will rest on his shoulders. 
And before I bow to any man, I'm not bowing to any, I'm bowing to Jesus. Because he says, every knee shall bow and every tongue shall confess that he is Lord. Now this doesn't negate the fact that we should vote wisely and we should vote and pray on how we vote and all those sorts of things. Don't, don't get me wrong, but my hope is not in no man. My hope is in God because my God will never fail me. My God will never forsake me. My God, the government will rest on his shoulders and his kingdom will prevail no matter what's going on in this world. He is a sure foundation. He's a strong tower. Are you with me? But I noticed this. After all this, God plainly said to the Israelites that they would cry out because of the king they had chosen for themselves and God would not answer them on that day. Despite God's warning, despite all of these things that would come upon them, guess what they said? We don't care what you have to say, God. We still want it. Do you see the pride? Do you see even in their speech how wrong they were? But before we point the finger, How many of us have been in this place? We may not echo the same sentiments as they echoed, but we have to ask ourselves, are we truly submitted to his will for our lives? Have we reached a place in our walk with God where we think we have it figured out? One of the scriptures that, um, and this was really kind of in my marriage, but it applies to all of my life. There's a proverb where the scripture says, there is a way that seems right unto man, but the end is the way of death. People of God, we should never get to the point where we think we have anything figured out. There's always more wisdom that could be gained in being a parent. There's more wisdom that could be gained in being a pastor and being a father and being an employee. There's more wisdom when when it comes to investments, anything that we face in this life. Lord, I'm asking for your wisdom. And this is a call to everyone here in this house to truly surrender to the Lord. Yes, we gave our lives to Christ. And some of us, it may have been years ago. But can I say something? Have we lost sight of our first love? Have we got to a place where we feel like we don't need God, where we think that we've reached a place where we're on this high, where we don't need him or or need to consult him or talk to him about some of the things that happen within our lives? He's calling us to come back. Before we judge these people, we've made up some of the same sayings. But lastly, I want to bring this up, and I'll bring this in for a close. Point number three. God's decisions and choices are based on his unlimited knowledge. God's decisions and choices are based on his unlimited knowledge. How many of you know that his ways are higher than our ways? And his thoughts are higher than our thoughts. So even when I go into a situation, I'm going to go to the one who is the source of wisdom and knowledge, and I'm going to ask for his guidance. And even though I may not like it, you know what? Um, how many of you here need wisdom? You need God's wisdom. There are some decisions that are on the table. There are some things that are hovering, and you need God's wisdom. Listen to this. Don't forget this verse, write it down. In James chapter 1, verse 5, listen to what it says. If any man or woman lacks wisdom, let them ask of God, who gives to all liberally and without reproach. But guess what it says? But let them ask in faith with no doubting. For he who doubts is like a man 
who is in the sea, who is tossed to and fro, let not that man suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord, for he is double-minded and unstable in all of his ways. In essence, what God is saying is, I'm willing to give it, but will you ask? You have not because you ask not. But when you do ask and I provide it, this isn't the time for you to go to your girlfriend. This isn't the time for you to go to this person and to consult with them. Even though in the multitude of counselors there is safety, don't misunderstand me. But when God gives you a clear directive and he confirms it, that's something you got to move on and trust, even though it may look foolish to everyone else. Take that, take that. We must look for his wisdom. In a premarital counseling session recently, something hit me. As we were examining the law of possession in the book, Marriage on the Rock by Jimmy and Karen Evans. By the way, if you're married or you have a desire to get married, I strongly recommend this book. Marriage on the Rock by Jimmy and Karen Evans. Judy and I would not be where we are uh, uh, today after 17 years of being married without the help of men and women of God that spoke into our lives. But this book continually helps us and helps me particularly. Amen? But it's a powerful book. And there's a, um, a chapter in there where he talks about the law of possession. And it comes from a scripture in Genesis 2.24. It says, therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife, and they shall become one flesh. Jimmy, the author of the book, writing about becoming one flesh, says, to understand the full meaning and implications the law of possession has in marriage, consider this observation. Marriage is a complete union in which all things previously owned and managed individually or separately are now owned and managed jointly. Meaning that's our car. That's our house. That's our business. That's our finances. I don't have my separate stash of money under the uh, mattress. I don't have a separate account that's offshore. When we become one, everything becomes one. And when things are not brought into one ship, it's going to cause conflict within a marriage every time. But But there's something that hit me, even though I've read this. Anything in marriage that's not willfully submitted to the ownership of the other person is held outside the union, producing legitimate jealousy. I never saw this before, but what makes this process easier is when somebody has submitted to Jesus. The reason why it makes it easier when somebody has submitted to Jesus is they have already gone through the dress rehearsal or they've already gone through the process of relinquishing control over to God. So it's not difficult for them to relinquish control or or uh, oversight or managing jointly over to their spouse. Because they've already done it with the Lord. But when the Lord is not in the picture, that person may still feel like they are in control, that they are on their own throne. Do you hear what I'm saying? Once again, this is why we are not called to be unequally yoked. I'm sorry, like, so uh, over the years in ministry, Judy and I have counseled so many people. If we just would have stuck with the foundation of this person being a born-again believer, it would have saved you a lot of trouble. And I'm not just talking about somebody going to church. Anybody can go to church. In fact, cars come to church every single Sunday. They're right outside the parking lot. They're, they're, they're on the church parking lot. 
But what sets us apart from that car is our devotion, our lifestyle before God. And what did it for me, and I've told you guys this before, and it continually affects me in a powerful way. When I started thinking about all that Jesus did for me, how he sacrificed on the cross, how he allowed himself to be brutally beaten and abused, I said to myself, how can I treat you so bad when you've been so good to me? How can I continue to live in sin, continue to live by some of the dictates of my past when you have revealed yourself to me in a powerful way? I don't want to do this any longer. I want to serve you, God. I want to give you my heart. I want to give you my life. Therefore, we boldly declare, listen to this, Jeremiah 29, 23. I mean, Jeremiah 9, 23 and 24 says, thus says the Lord, let not the wise man glory in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man glory in his might, nor let the rich man glory in his riches, but let him who glories glory in this, that he understands and knows me, that I am the Lord, exercising loving kindness, judgment, and righteousness in the earth. For in these I delight, says the Lord. Stand with me here in this place. Some of you guys that are familiar with the Bible you'll know that the tall and handsome Saul was the king that Samuel erected. The tall and handsome Saul would have been the perfect choice for a king, but through Saul's tragic reign, God taught the Israelites that they needed a king who was not like the kings of the other nations. They needed a king who would obey God's word. Instead of following his own will, a king who would trust in God instead of himself. In the shadow of Saul's mistakes, God trained young David to walk in his ways so that he could eventually lead the nation into righteousness. Did you know that the Bible says that David, he was regarded as a man after God's own heart? But for those of you that are familiar with the Bible, but this man killed a man so that he could be with his wife. Just because you are called, just because you are commissioned into a certain position, doesn't mean that you don't still have frailties. Doesn't mean that you are perfect and you don't ever make mistakes. But may I submit this to you. God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. What does it mean to be humble, Lord? I can't do this by myself. Can I be transparent with you? Every time I get up to minister, I'm always nervous. Literally, almost about to pass out. (laughs) But there's something about the anointing of God. There's something about the Holy Spirit. As I open up the word of God, something comes over me and there's a confidence that shines through. And the Lord will often remind me, Brandon, don't forget where I brought you from. I used to have a bad stuttering problem, as some of you guys know. Sometimes he'll remind me of that, and I'll go back to stuttering, and he'll bring me to a place. Don't forget. What is it for you? What is the Lord trying to show you? Baby, you can't do this without me. You've tried for all of these years, or you've tried up to this point. I know you're on this job, but that wasn't the job that I had for you. I'm calling you to still be faithful. And to still trust me, but I had something better for you, but you never consulted me. You never talked to me about this. You never talked to me about that relationship. 
You never talked to me before you had that conversation with somebody that abused you. You never talked to me. You never asked me how to do it, how to engage. The Lord is willing to help. He's a very present help at the time of trouble. Every eye closed. Can we just get humble before the Lord right now? For those of you watching online at our campuses, in the metaverse, one of the clearest signs we see in the scriptures is just raising your hands, sometimes kneeling or bowing before the Lord. God, I surrender. Is there anyone here in this place? You need to come back to your first love. Up to this point, you've been the one in control, but you know that it's not working. Things are falling apart in the home. Your emotions are all over the place. One minute you're happy, the next minute you're sad. Depression, it's just this wave. Nothing's never consistent. Nothing's ever constant. It's because you won't relinquish control. Give it over to God. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand as a sign of faith. Lord, help me to relinquish control. God, I pray for every single person that has their hand raised. And for those watching online, Lord, that you would touch them right where they're at. Lord, I pray that you would give us the courage to lay this at your feet. You care for us, God. We are your children. I am your son. I am your daughter. I'm laying this at your feet. I know that all things work together for the good of those who love you and are called according to your purpose. So why do I keep picking this back up? But today, I'm saying, God, I'm giving it over to you in the name of Jesus. In the name of Jesus, I surrender my marriage to you. I surrender my finances to you. I surrender my children to you. I surrender the way that I feel about myself, my low self-esteem when I look in the mirror. I know that I am fearfully and wonderfully made. I surrender that to you today. And I say, God, help me. Help me, God. I need you. I need you. I need you. Is there somebody here? You've never given your heart to the Lord Jesus. And you want to make him the Lord and Savior of your life. I want to lead you in a prayer to receive him now. Just raise your hand. Anyone here, you want to make Jesus the Lord and Savior of your life. Anyone here. For the sake of anybody that may be watching us online, everyone repeat this after me. Say, Jesus, I ask you to come into my heart and become my Lord and my Savior. I believe that you died on the cross, that you took my place, and that you rose again. I'm making a decision today to follow you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Give it up for the Lord in this place. Amen.